0: Would you turn to Colossians chapter 1 and verse 8? Colossians 1 verse 8. It's been a custom of Saving Grace Bible Church that on the last sermon of every year, I I get to preach um, a Christmas message. But having invited Pastor Matthew Johnson last week, he's done a wonderful job on preaching on um, the incarnation of the Son of God, which... uh, Freeze me to continue my verse by verse expository preaching on the book of Colossians. So we shall continue doing that. I've paused my preaching for three weeks, and that's far more than enough. I want to go back into the book of Colossians. So we read Colossians, but what I'll do is I'll read Colossians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8, just to join it together. And the word of God reads, Just as you learned it, that's the gospel, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow bondservant, who is a faithful servant of Christ on our behalf. And today's text, verse 8. And he also informed us of your love in the Spirit. What does that mean? Well, before I dive into that verse, just want to give you a bit of a background and given that we haven't touched the book of Colossians for three weeks in a row, maybe just a little bit extra than normal briefing on what was going on so far and where we are in this marvelous epistle. Well, after Paul introduced himself in the opening of, of this letter, he immediately launched into his usual prayer. You find his prayer consistent in all the other Pauline epistles. And, and this prayer is broken up neatly into two parts. Part 1 and part 2. Part 1 from verse 3 to verse 8. Where he expresses his gratefulness to God for the Colossians. And then after that paragraph ends in verse 8. He moves on in part 2 and he launches into a supplication. And you find out from verse 9 to verse 12. So part 1. Which where we're at at the moment and we've been in that for some time now. Why is the Apostle Paul so grateful? What is he thanking God for? Well, because it's made evident to him that those Colossians were genuine Christians. True followers of Jesus Christ. Why does this make him thankful? It makes him thankful... Because this means that they have hope laid up in heaven for them. Praise God. Are you a Christian? Have your sins been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Then praise God for you. We thank God because you also have hope stacked up and secured in heaven. Now what is this hope? That led Paul to be thankful. We looked at this before. Each one of the redeemed saints. Gets a physical resurrected body. Inheritance. Eternal rewards. Freedom from sin and sickness. And the crown of that hope. Is our glorious Christ. Whom we will see him physically. Face to face. We will conversate with him and he will physically conversate with us what a wonderful truth brothers that you and I ought to praise God for amen do you have a troubled life Um, financial stress or a a catastrophic problem with a, a family member of yours even in your brokenness there is still a good reason to praise God To lift your hands. And to give thanks to our good God. Brothers we need to always remind ourselves. That life on earth is but a vapor. It will end just like that. And the Lord Jesus will come back suddenly. And he will take us home. He will rapture us. And we will forever be with him. And at that point brothers and sisters. Once upon a time. What was hoped for by faith. Our eyes will physically behold. Our hands will touch. Now, if that is not enough reason to be grateful to God, Paul continues on and he adds further reasons to be grateful in this passage. Because this future hope is only part of the gospel that saved you. This gospel is powerful. It's like a tsunami and it's spreading around the world like a wildfire. And wherever this gospel is proclaimed and believed, it has 100% effectiveness in the heart of those blood-bought saints of God. The power of the gospel regenerates and transforms people's lives from the inside out. And for this reason, Paul also is grateful. Why? What does this mean? Just a quick review. We've spoken at length about this. But you remember, brothers, what you were like before you experienced the power of the gospel in your life. Right? You remember how you lived for yourselves. There was no interest in God at all. Some of you had gambling addiction. Drug addiction. Some of you were given to sexual immorality. And you were not even bothered by it. Right? But then what happened? Once you heard the gospel. Once God breathed life into your dead soul. What happened? The Bible tells us you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord. And so Paul is saying here. What can I do but to offer God thankfulness? Shouts of praise for you, brothers. 2 Corinthians 9.15 tells us, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. And what Paul says to the Colossians, he would say to all the believers in this room, Paul is saying to you, brothers and sisters, yes, I am so delighted for you. Yes, I am in prison. I'm, I'm suffering. But oh, am I overjoyed for you. And in a way, it's like Paul in this passage is inviting us to join him in giving thanks to God for the work he's doing in our lives. Well, that's encouraging, is it not? Amen. Well, is that all that you're thanking God for, Paul? No. There's one more thing. One more thing that Paul is thanking God for. And that'll be the subject of today's message. And We read verse 8 again. It says, and he, that refers to Epaphras, he also informed us of your love in the spirit. Epaphras, if you recall, he left Colossae and he made his way and traveled to Rome in order to visit Paul. And that visitation, it was not a whinging session. No, it was a praising session. And what was it that Epiphras praised? Colossians had demonstrated love in the spirit. A supernatural love that is awakened. Empowered by the Spirit of God. And for this reason, Paul is rejoicing. And we can't blame him for this, can we? We can't. Brothers, once again, I must say to you that I have to join the Apostle Paul and I thank God for the love of the saints that I see in this body. Though we are small in number, but what an amazing love that we demonstrate, and surely it is sure you have demonstrated supernatural love that cannot be explained apart from the power of God in your lives, and that is worthy of praise. Worthy of praise. And when I know and brother Ralph along with me, when we know that you are drawn to one another together in such an unexplained unity, that is precious to God. Precious to God. And so, this sets the pace, the direction where I'm heading with this message. Because what I'm planning to do is to make some observations from this passage about love. About love. And my goal is for us to deepen our growth all the more in this wonderful virtue of love. Three observations. Who is loved? We're going to look at it in this passage. Who is loved? Number two, why love? And number three, what is it that causes love? Three observations. But I want to tell you um, from the get-go that we will be spending most of our time on a third observation. On the third one. But first we start with, who is it that is love? That's the first observation. Who is this love directed to? If you notice again, it says, your love in the Spirit. Doesn't have the subject, right? To whom is the Colossian love directed to? Who did Paul have in mind when he penned this down? Now, I can give you all different possible um, answers to this question Most of, if all of them are weak, but one. I believe there is one clear answer to that question. Now, in the evening service, we can expound as to why that is the case. But because of time, we must move on. What we do is we look at the immediate context. And we find in the same paragraph, verse 4, a couple of verses earlier, It says, the love which you have for all the saints. And that's what I believe Paul has in mind. The love they have for all their brothers and sisters in that same congregation. The ones that they're called to be united to. We know that because every time he mentions love, horizontal love, it's always in context of the unity among the brethren. So we see in Colossians 2, verse 2, he says, Their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love. Colossians 3, 14. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. It's always in the context of unity. The love that unites brothers and sisters together. So to whom is this love directed to? The body of Christ, which is in the local community, the love for the flock that God has purchased with his blood. That's the first observation. I told you,' just quick and move on to the second one. Second observation: why love? Why? Meaning, why, why does Paul distinguish this virtue of love from all others? In other words, Paul could have said in verse 8, and he also informed us of your labor in the spirit or perseverance or, or goodness or whatever. Why? What is so special about loving the saints that he had to isolate and repeat it? Verse 4 and again in verse 8. Why? Well, to start off with, you, Love is the greatest virtue to cultivate, right? First Corinthians 13, verse 13, it says, But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. All other virtues, brothers, are derivatives of this one singular virtue. What do we mean by that? Well, if you recall in Galatians chapter um, five verse 22, when Paul mentioned the fruit of the spirit, when he wanted to let us know what the fruit of the spirit is, if you recall in that verse, it says, "The fruit of the spirit, a singular fruit." And what is it comes after that? love, the fruit. Of the spirit is love, and then when he wanted to unpack it, when he wanted to dissect it and cut up that fruit, we end up with what joy, peace, patience, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So all of these virtues are ingredients, but the main fruit, the one fruit, is love. This is why, when Jesus was asked, What is the greatest command? What did he say? To love the Lord your God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 13 verse 10, it says, love is a fulfillment of the law. First Peter 4, 8, it says, above all, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another. Why else does this virtue stand out? Let me give you quickly other reasons why this particular virtue, far more important than any other virtues. Number one, because without love, loving one another, our holiness is no more than an eggshell. You cannot say, I'm walking in holiness and yet not exercise love for one another, right? Even if you serve, imagine if you serve someone unlovingly. I thank you without love for you. I praise you, but I really don't love you. Has no meaning, no substance. Another thing, because very few things bring pleasure to the heart of our father more than when he sees his children love one another. Just like any other father, brothers and sisters. Another reason, because through our loving service, each member is edified, encouraged, built up. There's no building up without us moving out of our seats, getting up, moving, washing the disciples' feet with their love and your encouragement, and your giftedness. A gift that does not have foundational as love is meaningless. But when you have love and in you place on top of that you, the use of your giftedness, oh, what edification will it bring to your brothers in Christ? How important, brothers, to have this virtue and to cultivate it all the more. Don't you want to increase in bearing this fruit in your lives? What do we do? Well, we continue on with our observations in his text. All right. And we are directing now our attention to the third observation. And that is namely, what is it that gives birth to love and make it grow? From this passage, what are the causes that produce love for the saints? That's the third observation. Third observation. Okay, so we come to the third observation. What causes love to grow? Well, in that... I have three points. So normally I only give you three points every week, but this is Christmas Day, so it's a freebie. I'll throw in another three underneath the third point, okay? So Merry Christmas, everyone. (laughs) That's my gift to you. (laughs) Three causes that produce this kind of love to the saints. The n- number one is the Spirit of God, number two, the gospel, and number three, hope. So we'll look at them one, one at a time. You don't have to memorize them. I just want to tell you where I'm heading. Number one, the Spirit of God. He is the one, the number one, that causes us to love one another. Again, let's read the text. It says, your love in what? In the spirit. The love the Colossians enjoyed toward one another is not fabricated by human. It is not man-made. They didn't muscle up their willpower and so they found themselves loving one another. No. Had the Colossians' love was self-generated on their own, Paul would have said in verse 4, we give thanks to who? To you, because of your love that you have for all the saints. But he didn't thank them, did he? He thanked God. It's the Spirit of God that causes us to love the brethren. And the question is, how does a Spirit do that? Well, one thing to look at is the regeneration, the new birth. In Titus 3 verse 5, it says, He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to His mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Well, when we were dead in sin, How did we view people, other people? We viewed people as a means to our selfish desires, to fulfill it, to gratify it. Or we may have perhaps loved to hang out with those that are unregenerate people like us, that have interest like our interest. You know how the saying goes, birds of a feather, Locked together. But when the spirit of God invaded our hearts. Regenerated us and we've become new creatures. We became children of God. Having the same nature as our fathers. John tells us. That we love the brethren because we are born of God. so what does this mean? Well, as we began to open our new eyes and we look around us, we began to judge other people not by what kind of houses they have or the way they dress or their level of education. No, we are now new creatures. Regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And so we judge others, we do. But by asking this question is this a child of my heavenly father? Is he my brother? And the spirit that is indwelling in me is also the same spirit that is indwelling other believers. And he internally cries out and yearns in me and in you. And he would say this, I want to know who my brothers are. Something supernaturally in me is drawing me towards them. We share the same Father. We have the same deep longing. We love the same Christ. And so the Spirit would continue to empower us, each one of us, to love and to serve the blood-washed brethren and to open both our hearts and our homes to them. It's the Spirit's work. Brothers, do you want to grow in this precious virtue? What do you do? Be led by the Spirit. Forsake all self-reliance. Yield yourself to the working of the Spirit in you. How? How do you do this? To start with, the very least, spend time alone with God. And when you spend time alone with God, tell Him, God, work in me. Change me. Mold me. Shape me. And as He thus that in you, brothers, He will grow you in your love for His people. What is it that causes love to be produced in our lives? The Spirit. Now, second cause in that third observation. So we've got three causes, right? So the second cause that leads us to love the brethren In this passage is the gospel. And we can see it. It's there. It's in this text, starting from the last two words of verse 5. The last two words. And it says this. Let me read it to you, verse 5 and 6. The gospel which has come to you just as in all the world also, and it is constantly doing what? Bearing. Fruit and increasing. Again, bearing how many fruits? One fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. The gospel, once it's heard, understood and believed, it begins to bear fruit. And I submit to you, this fruit is none other but love. Love, first and foremost, of course, to Christ, but directly manifesting it to the followers of Christ. How's that? Why is that? Because in the gospel, we see the great love Christ has for his redeemed people, right? And meditating in that love of Christ. It compels us not only to love him, but to love whom he loves. Whom he died for. Well, can you flesh it out for me? Can you unpack it? Please explain to me what, what do you mean by this? How did you arrive to this conclusion? Well, let's take a tour in the heart of the gospel, brothers, and see how it does indeed affect us in this way. Consider, brothers, our sins, though they are more than can be numbered, and each one of them is such an unbearable burden, and we were once upon a time condemned guilty sinners before a holy God. Oh, how merciful, how loving is Christ that through his blood he forgave us all. Now, consider the love of Jesus and how he forgave us, brothers. Because as he bore all of our sins as though they were his own, Isaiah 53 verse 4 tells us, surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. What anguish, what grief must have filled his heart. What shame he had to endure for every lie, every lustful desire, every sinful anger. Reflect on the magnitude and the depth and enormity of your sins. All of our sins had the stamp of His name on it. And not only did He bear all of our sins, but also the sorrow and the grief that come with it. Oh, the the agony of this guilt that He must have borne for us. Brothers, this was real. And it was painful. And yet, that wasn't all. Because then, he was tortured at the hand of his father as he poured out his full wrath against our sin upon his beloved. Think of the suffering saviour. And yet, and we go beyond that suffering. who dared to force the Son of God to stoop so low to such degree of humiliation for us? Who forced him to do that? What a king, what a savior, we have brothers. Jesus is indeed the champion of our faith, the warrior of all ages. Why? Because nothing forced him to do such thing other than being compelled by his love for his people. His love for the redeemed that compelled him to subject himself to such torture. He did it all voluntarily. What a saviour. Are you looking for a perfect substitute to stand before your sin and the Father in this infinite gap? Look no further. Because Jesus is both able and willing. Why? Because he is both sovereign. And compassion. He loves when he stands in the gap between the Father and those whom he chose. Let your hearts melt with praises to such a Savior. Brothers, how can we not bow our heads before the feet that run so swiftly towards the sinners to save them? How can we not kiss the pierced hands that are willing to snatch such vile sinners as ourselves? Pull us up and pull us towards him to hide in his wounded chest. I submit to you that there is no love in this whole world that can mount up. To the worthiness of this Savior, Jesus Christ. But, brothers, if we love him, we've got to read his word. And what do we find in his word? We find that Jesus wants us to look around you. To look around you. To those believers who are seated next to you and behind you and in front of you. And he tells us in his word, to treat them as though they were his own body, to honor them with such delicacy as though they were his own bride. The gospel shows us how much Christ loves the saints. And if that is the case, how can we claim that we love him and yet not love whom he loves, whom he died for? The gospel tells us, brothers, that the saints are so blessed Think of the blessings that the gospel tells us that the saints are blessed by. They were elected by the Father, atoned and forgiven and redeemed by the Son, translated to the power of darkness by the Holy Spirit. And as you interact with that brother of yours, though he may be a sinner, weak sinner, But you are interacting with the son of the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And that Lord of lords set his heart upon him. And he says, what you do for him, you're doing for me. He circled, put a circle around the brothers in Christ, those that... Stumble us, yet God the Father placed a circle, the Son redeemed them, and the Spirit empowers them and gave them all the blessings of heaven. How can we not love them? Of course we do. Of course we do. Not only that, not only does the gospel cause us to love them, but it compels us to love them all the more in such a unique way. So the Spirit of God causes us to love the saints. The gospel compels us to love the saints all the more. And what's the third cause that produces love for the saints in this passage? It's our future hope, brothers. Future hope. Are you struggling to love the brethren? Do you feel like you've been distracted and you kind of... Getting caught up in the world, set your heart, fix your eyes upon the future hope and you will revive your soul by loving the brother. So where do we get that from? Well, it's very simple. Again, it's straightforward there. and I'm, I'm not that of a clever pastor. Here's a connection between verses 4 and 5. It shows us what? It shows us that the hope is the cause of love. It's just very simple. We just read the text. Why do the Colossians have love for all the saints? Why do they do that? Precisely in verse 5, it tells us, because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. But then, if you're hungry, To love the saints and obey God's word. That's not enough for you. You've got to go deeper. You've got to know why. You need to find out what is the connection between the future hope and the cause. How does it cause you to love the brethren? In other words, what is this link between setting my heart and my longing for my future hope And the love that I have at present time for the saints. Let's tackle it in a different way. What is it that is stopping you and I from loving our brethren the way we should? You know what it is? Self-love, right? The first and uh, most contrary opposite to loving others is self-love. It's self-seeking attitude, right? Right? In other words, what goes in our mind is that I do what I want to do. So as a result, I don't feel like getting to know the brethren or build relationship with them. I want to do my own things. I want to have, in a, nice, I want to have a nice clean house. I want to watch my own movies. I want to do whatever I want to do. Or it could be. Self-preservation, right? Self-preservation. I I, I don't want to risk my health. Yeah, we've seen it during COVID, right? I don't want to risk my health. Or perhaps I don't want to risk losing money. So, I don't want to serve you. Because you know what I mean? Time is money and money is time and... I don't want to spend neither of them so I don't want to risk anything so I'm not going to serve you sorry come back tomorrow if you need help maybe another time but what happens brothers when we fix our eyes intentionally intentionally on and eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to behold him face to face what happens when we're Confidently expecting our future freedom from sin and sickness. And in the process, we set our hearts on a new earth. Meditating on a river that is flowing and a tree of life and a future joy for all eternity. What happens as we begin to meditate on our home? Our eyes get lifted up. We begin to taste a glimpse of our future glory. And little by little, the joy of what is to come swallows the earthly joy, right? Gold becomes tasteless, garbage. Netflix will turn into empty void. We begin to live as exiles, like Peter says, sojourners in this earth, foreigners. When we passionately fall in love with our future hope, do you know what it will ultimately do? It will shatter the, the shackles that bind our hearts to YouTubes and cars and laziness. And self-indulgence. And it will free us from this paralyzing fear of self-preservation and self-seeking. And all of these sickening attitudes. And then what is the outcome? The outcome is that we will have this one million dollar question ringing in our ears. What is this question? The question is we begin to think, well, if this is not my home, if my home is yet to come, then how am I going to lay up more treasure in my home while I'm a sojourner on earth? And the answer that will echo from heaven into our hearts, love the saints that you will be spending eternity with. Love them now because you know that one day you will be walking on a new earth and you will meet them and you will say, hey, do you believe this? Do do you actually believe this? We're here. We're talking to one another. And you meet other men and women that you've never seen before. And you will never be scared to introduce yourself because there's no sin. No one's going to get angry at you. No one needs to be embarrassed of another. And you say, hey, brother, what's your name? John. Oh, my name is Mark. How are you going? Do you believe this? We've got wonderful blue sky forever, green grass, eternal joy. Have you seen the Lord? I've seen the Lord. Do you believe this? And when you brothers begin to meditate in this wonderful truth, That you will see one another. How can you not begin to love them now? So, meditating in our future hope. Embracing and loving the gospel. And the heart of Christ behind the gospel. And yielding ourselves to the power of the Holy Spirit in us. And you need no more causalities, no more reasons to cause you to love the saints. Well, we have just a couple of minutes to end this. And I want to speak about how does my love for the saints relate to unbelievers? Around us, I want to go yet deeper into your heart to understand the beauty and the value and the power of loving the brethren. And may God use it for his glory. You see, all this time we've been talking about believers. But what about unbelievers? I mean, we just spoke about it in the last sermon. If you just can download it, if you never listened, to, if you haven't listened to it. What about unbelievers? See, here's the thing. Love for the saints will empower the spread of the gospel. And I'm going to conclude with this. But I'm going to conclude with that. Now, in John 17, verse 20 and 21, Jesus, in his high priestly prayer, he says, I do not ask on behalf of these alone but for those also who believe in me through their word. He continues on and says that they may all be one, as you even, uh, one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. Well, why, Jesus, would you pray this prayer? Why do you want them to have the one heart and the one mind? So that the world may believe that you sent me. Evangelism is not a lone ranger. It's a group work. A group work put together. Brothers, if Jesus prayed this prayer, then I submit to you, nothing more would empower the effectiveness of evangelism in the whole world then for a group of simple believers, first and foremost, dip themselves in the power of God and then come out of that and find a brother who is in need and you go and meet that need. Nothing empowers this evangelism of ours than when we love the saints, when we fling away our self-interest in the pursuit of loving your brother, that, brothers and sisters, I don't believe is spoken of enough as to say the effectiveness of evangelism, though Jesus made it very clear. And so we might as well keep it consistent and say, well, how does that work? There's a lot to take. I'm happy if you take 40% or 20%. I'm fine with that. How does it work? Why is it evangelism is so effective when we love one another? And I want to tell you why. In order to encourage you to go further in your love for one another, brothers and sisters. Let me give you an example. Let's say an unbeliever comes in among you. Among us in this congregation. And, and as unbelievers are. And you know what unbelievers are. They're delusioned, And they think that they are good people. Right? They're, they're great. They're full of love. And wonderful people on their own. Right? And, and they're convinced they don't need Jesus to change them. But then they come in. Introduce yourself to them. They find Kirsty is pregnant, and then they look and then they find all the other women queue up and they try to serve her, sacrificing their needs for her need. They see Brother Alex and Alia moving houses, desperate for people to help them out. So they run for rescue. One Hangs the house or the other does flooring. I suck at both, but. (laughs) And they wholeheartedly paint and serve in moving furniture, whatever they could do or another uh, person yearns to be in a better state where there is a better weather, but in no way are they going to leave this group of people just to pursue their earthly comfort. No, on the contrary, they draw ever nearer to each other. They hunger for more fellowship, more service, deeper unity. And the unbelievers all around us, they wonder and they ask that question. What is this? What's going on? What kind of love is this? i never heard of anything like it before. Why? What do you mean? Well... To love your children, to love your wife, it makes sense to us. But to joyfully love, to make sacrifices for those of different ethnicity, different language and different nations and to love them this way, it's unheard of. Where does this group of people get the power to love one another this way? Who's their God? Why are you asking this question? He must be a powerful God. A God of wonder. A God of amazement. And so loving the saints, brothers. Is a testimony among unbelievers to the power of our living God in our lives. Amen. Let's bow our heads and worship. Lord, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for your word, the clarity of your word, how it makes perfect sense in our minds. But, oh, how we beg you, Lord, for your spirit to work in our hearts, to change us, to humble us, to shape us and mold us, to cause us to love the brethren. All the more, as we see the Christ, Christ and his heart beating with love for them. As we begin to enlarge our hearts with the joy of the future hope. And as the spirit continues to empower us, Lord, cause us to grow for love in such a way. That makes us effective in our evangelism.